Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to episode number 138 of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm your host, Chris Trapodi, and with me, as always, is Tony Pauline. And we're back once again as we're hitting the home stretch of our divisional draft recaps by taking a look at the two divisions on the left coast, starting with the AFC West. Lots of first-round picks in this division, a couple teams with multiple ones, and a lot of first-round skill player selections as well, Tony. And the case of a team with multiple first-round picks, uh, the, the uh, Los Angeles Chargers trading away a lot to get moved back into round one and uh, collect that second uh, uh, second selection around one. Absolutely. And speaking of the Chargers, we'll start with them as, as they picked sixth overall this year. They drafted Oregon quarterback Justin Herbert with Phillip Rivers leaving for Indianapolis and only Tyrod Taylor coming in to replace him. And with that second first round pick, as Tony said, giving up a lot in a trade for Oklahoma linebacker Kenneth Murray. We'll get to Murray in a second, though. We'll start with Herbert. And it's not like we haven't talked a lot about Herbert over the past couple of years on this podcast, but he's a guy that he has all the traits you want. He's athletic. He's got the arm. He's got all the physical ability that you want in a quarterback. Got good reviews at the Senior Bowl, too, as far as his leadership and what he was able to do down there in Mobile, which is you know just another reason that he solidified himself as a top-10 selection. But as Tony and I have been saying with Justin Herbert, we just haven't seen that signature moment. We haven't seen him just take the bull by the horns and, and just say, you know what, this is my game. I'm going to take over right now, and I'm going to be the reason that we pull out a victory in a big moment. We just haven't seen that. With Justin Herbert and you know we've seen time and time again quarterbacks with big arms or quarterbacks with good athleticism all the physical traits you want but they just don't have whatever that it factor is that magical intangible that uh you know leads to quarterbacks who may not have those same physical abilities becoming NFL stars we haven't seen that from Justin Herbert didn't see it from him at Oregon doesn't mean that he can't have success at the NFL level but it does kind of cast a shadow of doubt around his future prognosis. One of my major concerns about Herbert going into the draft was the team or the specifically the city that was going to draft him because with his type of personality, uh, sort of as we, we reported uh, more than a year ago when he was thinking about or when the conversation was would he enter the draft as a junior, you know, him being uh, characterized as sort of a social introvert, quiet guy, someone who liked the Eugene, Oregon area. I was concerned about the town or the city that where, where he ended up in. Now, I expressed these concerns to people in the know and people close to the situation before the draft about Herbert ending up in, you know, with the charges in Los Angeles. But I'm told, well, it's not really Los Angeles. It's Orange County, which is outside of Los Angeles. And, you know, the charges don't have a, uh, you know, a, a screaming fan base uh, that they struggle to attract people to their game. So, you know, we'll see. We know all the criticisms. We know the upside. I think it's a situation where Herbert's going to need a lot of coaching. He's going to need to be pushed uh, basically to lead the team. If he does, he's going to be a very good start at the next level. If he does it, we're going to see much of the same, what you described from his college uh, his college career, someone who, you know, keeps you leaving or, or, or basically ends a game where you think that he could have produced more. Absolutely. And that's always been the question with Herbert. We'll see if he can kind of answer that 
in LA. Luckily for him, he might not have to start right away. He might be able to sit behind Tyrod Taylor and kind of learn the game and, and kind of see things from the sideline, which, you know, any star quarterback coming into the league, they don't really have the opportunity most likely to watch the game from the sideline over the past couple seasons. Now moving on to that second first round pick that the Chargers traded up for, they sent their second round pick number 37 overall and their third round pick number 71 overall to the Patriots for pick 23 and drafted, as I mentioned, Oklahoma linebacker, Kenneth Murray. And Murray is definitely a good fit for the Chargers. He can plug right in the middle of that defense. Uh, he can go sideline to sideline. He has that kind of range. He's a very good athlete. He's very productive the past couple seasons at Oklahoma. So it's not that this was a bad pick by any means. It filled a need, and Kenneth Murray is an excellent player. But as Tony said, the Chargers gave up a good amount to move up. I mean, an early third-round pick to jump 14 spots uh, for a middle linebacker isn't something you really see in today's NFL, and it's definitely not something you've seen a lot from general manager Tom Telesco. But in the end, the Chargers did get an excellent player in Murray who fills a big hole on their defense. Well, at middle linebacker, you know, I, I like Murray better as an inside linebacker in a 3-4. And, you know, the Chargers do use some 3-4 looks with Melvin Ingram, who lines up at outside linebacker and defensive end. I think Murray may struggle. And he's a guy who I like coming into the year. I said a year uh, – I said in, in the uh, in my Oklahoma preview, I thought he was a guy who had top 45 potential. He was moving up through the throughout the entire process. The league likes these undersized run and chase guys. I just have my concerns about the way he's going to stack up against the run at middle linebacker. I've got no concerns about him as a run and chase pursuit uh, defender. It'll be interesting to see, you know, how he does when they line up a four man front and he plays that traditional middle linebacker role. And yes, they gave up a lot, so a lot is going to be expected from Murray this season. And those second and third round picks being gone from LA's chest here. They didn't have another selection until the fourth round where they selected UCLA running back Joshua Kelly. Then the fifth round, they came back with another skill player selection, their third in four picks, and drafted Virginia wide receiver Joe Reed. Now, Kelly is a guy, obviously, the Chargers let Melvin Gordon go in the offseason. They extended Austin Eckler. Eckler, though, is a bit of a smaller back, obviously excels as a receiver. Kelly has good size. He's over 210 pounds. He's a pretty good athlete. Ran a sub 4-5-40 at the Combine. Runs with good power. Can catch the ball well. Really a good all-around running back. Played well at the Senior Bowl as well. So a good pick in the fourth round. And a guy that combined with Austin Eckler and maybe even Justin Jackson, who they drafted a couple seasons ago, uh, could give the Chargers a nice little boost in the backfield and make them, you know, kind of forget a little bit about losing Melvin Gordon. Joe Reed is actually one of a guy that I've been very impressed with throughout the season, had a big senior year, wasn't really productive before that, but came out and he's 224 pounds as a receiver. He's also an excellent returner. He can be used on reverses. He's a guy, if you get him the ball in the short field, he can make plays with the ball in his hands. Runs decent routes too. He's just a solid receiver. And again, he's got pretty good size in terms of the weight. Uh, he's also six feet tall. So I like the Joe Reed pick. He's a guy that a lot of people I think were surprised to see go in the fifth round, but I thought this was a very good pick for the Chargers. Yeah, and I think that number three, number four wide receiver spot is wide open uh, for the Chargers. Reed's going to have to pick up the productivity quickly. He's a real good athlete who's got to transition to a full-time receiver, and as you mentioned, he's got return abilities. Uh, I thought Josh Kelly was a tremendous selection for him. I mean, it's probably going to be running back by committee uh, with the Chargers, and that's exactly what you bring Josh Kelly in for as a situational back, as a guy that's going to be using a rotational sort of system as we saw, he was tremendous during uh, senior bowl practice. I thought fourth round was, was where he should have ended up. I think this is a good fit for him, and I expect him to be productive as a rookie. 
two more picks for LA, one in the sixth round and one in the seventh round. Notre Dame safety, Alohi Gilman was the first one. And then another wide receiver, Ohio State wide receiver, KJ Hill in the seventh. Gilman is a guy, he's more of an in-the-box type of guy. He doesn't have the standard range you might expect from a free safety, and, and he's sized like a free safety, about 200 pounds or so. So kind of a tweener in terms of the safety position, uh, but a guy that can definitely help out on special teams for the Chargers. And K.J. Hill, he's kind of the opposite in some ways of Joe Reed. He doesn't have quite the size. He doesn't have quite the speed or the athleticism, kind of average in both areas, but just a very good receiver, runs solid routes. Another guy like Josh Kelly, who had a very good senior bowl week. People were raving about him. And then he fell to the seventh round. We talk all the time about how the NFL, and this is kind of something we've mentioned with Tyler Johnson from Minnesota as well. If you're not big, and if you're not fast, you can be a very good receiver, but it's going to be very difficult for you to go before day three of the draft. But still, seeing K.J. Hill fall out of the top 200 picks was a surprise. And the Chargers did a really nice job shoring up that you know wide receiver three, wide receiver four position you mentioned that has some openings here. Either Joe Reed or K.J. Hill could easily take the bull by the horns and grab those spots going into the season. I think K.J. Hill is going to be one of the steals from this year's draft. Yeah, he timed in the four sixes uh, at, in the 40 at the Combine. But he's a guy who plays much faster. He's a consistent wide out. You know, that they spread the ball around to all those receivers at Ohio State. There was no single receiver that had great production numbers. But K.J. Hill consistently showed up on a week-in, week-out basis. I thought this was an outstanding selection. And I think this is going to be one of the steals of the draft. Uh, the, the other pick that you sp- we spoke about, Aloha Gilman, he's very typical of what the Chargers like in their uh, safeties. He's a guy who's primarily – Someone who can play in the short field. He's got solid ball skills, but he's like K.J. Hill. I I mean, as you mentioned, he's got free safety size, but strong safety speed. But still, as we talked about in our previews, there were teams that liked him because he played a little bit of cornerback at the senior ball and he held his own. And with more and more teams lining up three safeties on the field, Aloha Gilman fits into that sort of scheme, that sort of system and he's definitely what the Chargers have always liked at the safety position. And obviously only six picks for the Chargers. They did do a good job with their selections. After the draft, they picked up a couple undrafted free agents, as any team would afterwards. A couple guys of note, Joe Gaziano, the defensive end from Northwestern, a high-motor type of guy, very productive senior year, nine and a half sacks. Definitely a limited athlete, though, and kind of a lean frame. He lacks both, so he may struggle a bit against the run, but a guy that could make the roster as kind of a sub-package pass rusher. Then Darius Bradwell kind of brings something to that running back room we mentioned before that they really don't have, and that's a true short yardage power type of back. And now that's pretty much all Darius Bradwell is. He's not going to help you in the receiving game. Uh, He's not quick. He's not going to do much outside of between the tackles. But with Melvin Gordon gone, who the Chargers did like the slam between the tackles, even if that may not have been the best fit for Melvin Gordon's skill set, Darius Bradwell, if he can make the roster, brings a guy that could end up seeing some action on the goal line and helping the Chargers plug it in from close range. Yeah, they signed a ton of undrafted free agents after the uh, draft was over. There were no eye-popping guys. There were a couple of guys I was glad to see get contracts. Dante Vaughn of Notre Dame, a a bigger, taller, stronger cornerback, may eventually line up at safety, but a guy that can play football. Dalton Schoen, the receiver from Kansas State, again, lacks the great speed, but a real good football player and and a guy who's got very consistent hands. I was also happy to see Jared Rice get signed, the tight end from Fresno State. Uh, They've got a lot of tight ends on the depth chart, including Donald Parnum of Stetson, who was much talked about in the lead-up to the 2019 draft. 
They gave Hunter Henry the franchise tag, which we spoke about. We broke that news uh, at the Senior Bowl that that was uh, basically brewing. Jared Rice, he's tall. He's athletic. He's a good pass catcher. He's got to fill out his frame and improve his blocking. Don't know that he makes the active roster, but I think at the very least you'll see Jared Rice on a practice squad this fall for the Chargers. We'll be back shortly to look at the division's remaining draft halls after this word from our sponsor. Some sports are returning while others are trying, which should provide options to those looking for wagering opportunities. While you're waiting this out at home, you can still have fun betting with our partners at betonline.ag. No NBA, no NHL, or MLB? Don't worry. BetOnline still has hundreds of games, events, and sports to wager on. Not to mention NASCAR is back. There are Madden and NBA 2K simulations. There's actually a $10,000 Madden bracket challenge as well the UFC, and of course, their online casino with poker and blackjack. In addition to all of that, coming up next Sunday, BetOnline has ex-Chicago Bulls Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, Craig Hodges, and Ron Harper joining to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they are calling the final dance. And they're still fun to be had, so go to betonline.ag and use our promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and use our promo code MYPOD100. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. And we're back here with another team from the AFC West that had multiple first-round picks, and that is the Oakland Raiders. They drafted Henry Ruggs, the wide receiver, out of Alabama at number 12 overall. Then at number 19 overall, they selected Ohio State cornerback Damon Arnett. Now, Ruggs being the first wide receiver off the board – was not necessarily surprising to us. We had talked about that being a possibility leading up to the draft and kind of the ghost of Al Davis working here in terms of the Raiders just focusing on speed. But him going 12 overall above Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb, I just can't see it. He's not the complete receiver that the other two guys are. Um, Obviously, he brings that speed element. He's going to take the top off of defenses. He does do good work underneath. Uh, He was the number three wide receiver on Tony's board. He was a little bit lower for me, which, you know, the consensus opinion more or less had him as the third receiver off the board. But here he is going first over Jerry Judy, over CeeDee Lamb, just not something I can really get behind. I know it's a fit, and I know the Raiders needed wide receivers, but it's just a little bit too early for me considering what else was on the board. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. As I reported literally just days before the draft, if John Gruden got his way, Henry Ruggs was going to be the the Raiders pick at 12, and John Gruden evidently got his way. Here's the problem with Ruggs, or here's my concern with Ruggs. I mean, he was the number three, the num- at times the number four receiver at Alabama, and now he's going to move, or he's going to be asked to be the guy with the Raiders. And it's going to be a steep curve. It's going to be a steep curve from a physical point of view, from a competition point of view, even though he plays at Alabama and in the SEC. And it's going to be a steep curve from a learning point of view. I mean, at Alabama, all the other receivers, Jerry Judy, Devonta Smith, all those guys, they were attracting a lot of double teams. And when you watch the film, Ruggs, while he showed flashes, in my opinion, was more the product of opportunity than real good receiving skills. Great athlete, has a huge upside. I think there's going to be a lot of bumps in the road. Moving to that second first-round pick the Raiders had, speaking of potential bumps in the road, Ohio State's Damon Arnett was a guy that ended up as the number four cornerback 
off the board. Tony, I don't remember where he was on your board, but I don't think it was anywhere near number four. He wasn't in either of our top fives heading into the draft, the shows that we did a couple of weeks leading up to. There is a bit of a controversy in terms of what his timed 40 was. He timed in the mid four fives, but some teams had him in uh, the high four fours and, and things like that. But either way, he doesn't have blazing speed, does have solid ball skills. He's a good cornerback against the run. I mean, he is a solid player, but to see him as the number four cornerback off the board with a lot of the other players that were available at that time, three picks after the Falcons kind of reached on AJ Terrell, it seems like Las Vegas did the same thing here with Arnett. Well, I think what happened is when the Falcons took AJ Terrell, that kind of threw the Raiders for a loop. You know, I had reported this before. What I was told was Arnett's high school coach is now a coach with the Raiders that was the connection there. That's how he ended up with the Raiders. Uh, and those connections usually mean a lot. I like Arnett on the field. There were some concerns about him off the field. Uh, and the fact is, I think everyone was shocked. I think universally, if you're going to say who was the biggest surprise, who was the biggest reach in round one, 99 out of 100, if not 100 out of 100 people are going to say Damon Arnett. Granted, it's all on paper now. You know, let's see how it plays out. And this has been beaten like a dead horse. Uh, but, uh, you know, it is what it is for the Raiders. Let's see what happens. And let's see if Arnett can live up to the billing. I think it's going to be tough for him. Now that's two first-round picks who might have been slight reaches for the Raiders here. They didn't have a second-round pick, but they did have three in the third round, two of them right next to each other. And that was at pick 80, Kentucky running back Lynn Bowden. And at pick 81, South Carolina wide receiver Brian Edwards. Now, Bowden is a guy, played wide receiver at Kentucky, moved to quarterback as a senior, just a dynamic athlete, really a guy with the ball in his hands. He's dangerous, whether you get it to him on screen passes, whether you snap it to him as a quarterback, which is not going to happen in the NFL, or whether you use him as a running back, which it seems like Oakland is at least listing him as a running back. No matter where he's listed, though, he's just a multi-purpose weapon. They'll probably use him on returns as well, just to find excuses to get the ball in his hands, because he's truly a dynamic playmaker. The problem is, he doesn't really have a true position. So you're going to have to get very creative on offense with him. And you're going to have to use him in a manner that maximizes his ability. We'll see if Las Vegas will be able to do that. That next pick, Brian Edwards. Now this is a guy this year who was the guy at South Carolina with Debo Samuel moved on to the NFL and Brian Edwards. He's a physical player, really a beast after the catch. You get him the ball in the short field and he's going to make plays after the catch. He has enough speed to get downfield. He's a good solid player. I really like this Brian Edwards pick. Um, you know, the Raiders, again, needed help at wide receiver. They have Henry Ruggs now. They have Brian Edwards to add to Tyrell Williams and Hunter Renfro and, and guys like that. But in terms of value that we're looking at, I mean, Brian Edwards, as I said, he was the guy at South Carolina. Maybe he didn't produce, you know, like you, know, you might expect a true number one to. But that's why he's going in the third round, 70 picks after Henry Ruggs. You look at that value. I, I like what they did with Brian Edwards there. Edwards is more NFL ready than Henry, Henry Ruggs if he's healthy. The problem with Brian Edwards was he had a significant injury at the end of last season, which knocked him out of the senior bowl, knocked him out of the combine, probably knocked him out of the second round. But when you watch Brian Edwards, especially the 2018 film, uh, when he was healthy, he is a bigger, dominant uh, possession type receiver who's also got some sneaky speed. So I think when you compare him to Ruggs, Ruggs is a better athlete. Ruggs is the more explosive player. He's the greater deep threat, but Brian Edwards, in my opinion, is far and away uh, more of a plug-and-play type player. There will be fewer bumps in the road. You know, Henry Ruggs, if he reaches his upside potential, he's got all pro type of ability, but there is a huge canyon that uh, Henry Ruggs is going to have to jump over to get to that point. 
where Brian Edwards, I think if he's healthy, he's going to be very productive uh, from day one. As far as uh, Bowden's concerned, yeah, I, I mean, they drafted Bowden. They list him at receiver. He's a guy you're going to line up in the slot. He's someone you're going to put in motion before the, ball, uh, before the snap. You're going to run him on reverses. You're going to use him as a return specialist. He's just a dynamic playmaker that really has to find the position on a consistent basis. Now, a lot sometimes these guys don't work out, but in the interim, I mean, he's probably someone that will afford big plays every couple of games. Now, three more picks for the Raiders. I mentioned one more in the third round. They used that on Clemson linebacker Tanner Muse. He played safety for the Tigers, listed as a linebacker for the Raiders here. They went back to the Clemson well early in the fourth round with guard John Simpson. Then they rounded out their draft. No fifth through seventh round picks for Las Vegas. Rounded out that draft with Louisiana Tech cornerback Amik Robertson. Now, Tanner Muse is a guy, I mean, we had talked about him a bunch of times on the show. He's a good football player. We said, at the very least, this guy is going to be an excellent late-round pick and special teamer at the NFL level. Then he went and he ran a 4-4-2 at the combine, really just shocking everybody. That's, that's, I would say, the most unexpected 40 time that we saw in Indy this year. And obviously, it bumped him into the top 100 here. Barely, he was pick 100. But, I mean, Tanner Muse, he's good at football, and he's a better athlete than a lot of people expected. So, while... I think a lot of people look at that pick and say, oh, wow, you know what? He went a little bit early. I do think it's a solid pick in terms of a guy who's a good football player and proof that he's also an NFL athlete. John Simpson, not the best athlete, not a guy you're going to use in motion. He's not going to pull outside the tackles or get to the second level with a crazy level of effectiveness. But as in terms of small area maulers, I mean, John Simpson is there. He is an excellent run blocker, holds his own in the pass game as well. You keep him in a small area, you limit his space responsibilities, and he's absolutely a starter at the NFL level. And then Robertson, the one thing he lacks is size. We've seen a lot of corners that we've discussed on these shows that more or less the one thing that they're lacking is size. Now he's short, he's small, he has short arms, but he's going to be a nickel corner. And you get a guy like that outside of the top 125. He's got the ball skills. He's got the overall ability. I'll make Robertson is another excellent pick here for Oakland. And this is three straight picks here where, you know, you look at these guys and you say, well, all right, these, these guys can all contribute on this roster. You know, it's funny, but I like the last three picks as a package better than I like the first three picks of Henry Ruggs, Damon Arnett, uh, Lynn Bowden. Now, I'm not saying they're better, but I think, you know, when you look at the value and, and you look at what they bring and the fact that these guys are NFL ready, but they don't have, you know, go back to the Brian Edwards argument I use versus Henry Ruggs. They don't have the upside of the first three guys, um, but I, I think they're going to be playing either for the Raiders or for another roster. It's funny about Tanner Muse. Tanner Muse was estimated by scouts coming into the season to be a 4-7-5-40 guy. But during the season, when I talk to people, they say, this guy's going to test off the charts. And that's exactly what he did. Um, he's a tough, heady football player. He's very, uh, very nasty. He attacks assignments, but he also plays disciplined football. He's a little bit stiff. I, I think the move uh, to outside linebacker will be a natural fit for him. I think it's a situation where he could eventually develop into a starter. You know, you said you were running the mark with what you said about John Simpson with uh, Richie Incognito getting up there in age. You don't know how long he's going to be uh, around. I, I think this was a, a terrific, fi uh, terrific selection. I like the Meek Robertson pick. I think he's more of a nickelback. He's got outstanding ball skills. You can play him in bump and run. You can play him in zone. You can play him backed off the line of scrimmage. In fact, I think the last will probably be his best. 
good ball skills, a guy who's coming off a terrific season, didn't run at the combine because he was injured. Uh, but still, he plays fast enough when you watch the film. So those last three selections, I, I thought the Raiders did an outstanding job. Now, the Raiders also signed several undrafted free agents. Afterwards, a couple guys of note, COC Mariner, out of Utah State was Jordan Love's top weapon this year. Obviously, much has been made of the supporting cast that Jordan Love had in terms of discussing his struggles in 2019, but it's really not Mariner's fault. Um, you know, he had a productive season. He's good in contested catch situations. Problem is, he's just not that good of an athlete, a bigger, taller possession type of receiver, um, you know, who might have an uphill climb to make the roster, but could end up on the practice squad. And then Mike Panusiak. Solid fit for the Raiders here, an explosive high-motor rotational three technique, kind of one-dimensional in that sense. He's not going to hold up very well against the run. Um, strictly a, a first-step gap shooter type of player. But, you know, another guy who's kind of intriguing that they signed after the draft. Tony, anybody stand out to you? Yeah, they really didn't uh, put a lot of effort, didn't seemingly put a lot of effort into signing uh, these undrafted guys. Uh, I like Madre Harper, the cornerback from Southern Illinois. Got to keep an eye on. He's tall. He's rangy. He's physical. Struggles at times making plays with his back to the ball. Don't know that he makes an active roster, but he could surprise in camp this summer once camp starts. Uh, and I think at the very least, uh, he's someone who'll end up on the practice squad. I, I think Madre Harper is one of those rookies that is really going to struggle because there is no rookie minicamp. I think the fact that if he's there, the more eyes that were on him and the more people see the potential he had, the greater the chance he would have had to make an active roster. But at the very least, I think he ends up on the practice squad. Now I'll break down the Broncos and Chiefs drafts in just a moment after this quick break. And we're back to discuss the team in the AFC West that had the most draft picks, and that is the Denver Broncos, who had 10 selections. With that first selection, they chose what we would argue is the better Alabama receiver, and that's Jerry Judy. Now, I mean, Jerry Judy, if you watch him play, I mean, this is a guy who just creates unbelievable separation with his routes. Just extremely quick out of his routes, shows really good explosion out of his plants. Not a guy with great top-end speed like Henry Ruggs. You know, not he's more of a 4 fours type of guy, but that's really the only knock on Jerry Judy. Not great in contested catches, but he doesn't put himself in situations where he needs to make contested catches because half the time he's five yards separated from the corner at the time of the ball coming out of the quarterback's hands. Uh, so Jerry Judy really, you know, between him and CD lamb, it was really hard to discern who was the number one receiver. You could argue for either of them and, and have a good argument, but you now the Broncos did a really nice job here getting a guy who really compliments Cortland Sutton well as well. Yeah. You know, there was talk that the Broncos wanted uh, Henry Ruggs. They were going to try and trade up to get Ruggs. I had said that they wanted Jerry Judy. In the end, like it did a year ago with the tight end, it worked out for the uh, for the Broncos. They just sat there, and the receiver, or at least one of the receivers that they wanted, fell into their laps. Now, my concern about Jerry Judy is he struggles in confined quarters. He's not good in a crowd. But, you know, as you said, he, he's an outstanding complement uh, to Cortland Sutton, the bigger, uh, bigger, stronger possession receiver. And he's the kind of guy – especially with the next receiver that we're going to talk about who they selected with that tandem with KJ Hamler, uh, you know, safeties are going to have to, when both of those guys line up, they're going to have to take a step back, which will open things up for the running game because both Jerry Judy and their second round pick KJ Hamler have the game breaking speed and, and have the ability to take it the distance. Jerry Judy only ran in the mid four fours at the combine, but he plays much faster. 
And Antonio alluded to it here. KJ Hamler out of Penn State, the wide receiver, was the Broncos' second round pick. And, and this is just more explosion for that Denver offense that was really lacking that last season. I mean, Cortland Sutton, Deshaun Hamilton, Tim Patrick, none of these guys are explosive down the field or in the short field. KJ Hamler, I mean, he is small for sure, but if he tested, at the combine, he probably runs somewhere in the low to mid four threes. Uh, he's that fast. He's that explosive. He's also a really good natural receiver. He adjusts to the ball very well down the field. He even shows some ability in the middle, willing to go over the middle and, and kind of make catches and you know take a hit here and there. So, I mean, I think this is a guy who the Broncos were able to get at pick 46 because he didn't work out before the combine or sorry before the draft and you know this could be you know just a, a real good steal for them and you know just complimenting Cortland Sutton with these two guys Drew Locke has to be a very happy man in Denver right now listen well one of the reasons that KJ Hamlet fell as far as he did is also he's five eight and a half and there's only so many things you can do with a five eight and a half receiver but you know for the longest time I had KJ Hamler it is a first round pick I had him up there with the top three guys that is my own perceived opinions of KJ Hamler watching him the past two years. I mean, you know, he, he's five, eight and a half, but he plays like he's six, three. He's not afraid to get up and compete and chat and fight to come away with the contested throw. Unfortunately, more times than not, he's going to struggle to come away with the contested throw because he's slight of size, but he's got home run hitting at speed. He can take it the distance. Anytime the ball's in his hand, he can score from any point in the field. You're looking at a slot receiver or a guy who lines up on the boundary who's going to be a game breaker, a return specialist, someone you can use on reverses. I absolutely love this pick. I think K.J. Hamler is going to make a lot of people regret that they missed on him and he should have been taken much earlier. Now, a trio of third-round picks for the Broncos, Iowa cornerback Michael Ojemudier, LSU center Lloyd Cushenberry, and Arkansas defensive tackle McTelvin Ajem, all guys who were in Mobile for the senior bowl. Now, Oji Moody is a guy, good size, very good athlete, has good ball skills, but he's raw. He had an inconsistent season, pretty much an inconsistent career for the Hawkeyes, was also a bit inconsistent down in Mobile, but this is a ball of clay that the Broncos hope works out better than a guy that they drafted in the third round that played at the senior bowl several years ago in Brendan Langley. Lloyd Cushenberry, smart guy, he's tough, more of a small area type of center, not a guy you're going to want to pull out, not a guy you're going to get in motion and, and have him block for off tackle runs or anything outside, but a solid player for what he is in terms of just a mauler in the middle. And then McTelvin Ajum, I thought that was early for him. I like McTelvin Ajum as an explosive three technique. Uh, he's 309 pounds, but he plays that way but he's going to have to play nose tackle in Denver's 3-4 outlook here unless they run a lot more four-man lines. He's not really set to be a two-gap end either, so I find it to be a strange fit for Ajum, and I also thought they took him just a little bit early in terms of value. Yeah, you know, I, I don't understand the, the mctelvin Ajum pick. Um, he's a three-technique tackle. Maybe he eventually grows into a two-gap end. His game is predicated on first-step quickness and explosion and hand usage. His game is not predicated on strength or power. He gets annihilated in those areas. So, you know, you can't even say that he's a Jarrell Casey type of player because Jarrell Casey was, was more, when he entered the league, was more of a first step sort of lineman uh, who basically physically matured. Maybe Agam can do that uh, down the line, but I thought it was kind of a strange pick. It'll be interesting to see how they use him. Uh, Cushenberry, I, I think the hopes is, is that Cushenberry replaces Connor McGovern, who uh, was lost to the New York Jets. 
He's probably going to be given every opportunity to start. The job is his to lose. Let's see what happens. As far as Asia Moody was concerned, he was a guy who I really liked off the 2018 film. And I saw a lot there and I graded him as a potential third, fourth round pick. But he never capitalized. He never progressed during on the 2019 film. So as a result, I had him graded as more as a fifth rounder. Now, you know, I understand why people thought he was taken early. But again, if you go back and watch the 2018 film, you can see elements of him being of a second day prospect, the size, the speed, plus the ball skills. So I, I guess that's what the Denver Broncos are hoping for, which is why they made him the 77th pick. You know, he, he you got a bigger cornerback. It's just a matter of getting him back to where he was in 2018 and progressing from that point. Now, five picks on the third day for Denver. Missouri tight end Albert Oquabanon was their fourth-round selection, reunited with college teammate Drew Locke. Wake Forest linebacker Justin Stranad was the pick in the fifth. Fresno State guard Natan Muti in the sixth round. Then a pair of seventh-round picks towards the end of the draft in the final four selections. Florida wide receiver Tyree Cleveland and North Dakota State edge rusher Derek Tuska. Now, looking at Okwebenam, I mean, this is a guy who thought about entering the draft last year. Tony and I discussed that. He's a guy who has some other interests. He's, you know, an academic type of guy. He's an intelligent dude. So people kind of questioned his commitment to football. Not sure if that's why he dropped to the fourth round, but this is a guy who has day two talent um, for his size and the ability that he shows as an athlete, just the balance, um, the speed, straight line speed. He tested extremely well at the combine. Kind of a luxury pick because they have Noah Fant. And they now have three wide receivers, two of them they drafted here. So it'd be interesting to see how often he can get on the field. But I thought it was a solid value pick. Justin Stranad, 238 pounds, ran a 4.740 at the combine, but he plays faster than that. And he's also not that 230-pound linebacker or so that is a bit small for the league. He's about average size for linebacker. He can play in coverage, too. He can play all three downs. So I thought that was a pretty solid pick. Natane Moody, really haven't seen much of him. The past two seasons due to injury, a more of a small area type of guard. I thought it was a little bit high for him, but it's hard to truly say that when you get guys outside of the top 175. And then the seventh rounders, Tyree Cleveland, good size, good athlete, but he's definitely a traits-based flyer, had less than a thousand career receiving yards. So hopefully Denver can get a little more production out of him than he had in college. And then Tuska, now this is a guy who had a lot of production, big numbers for North Dakota State. He's a bit small at 251 pounds, but that's okay because he's going to stand up over tackle as a sub-package rusher for Denver. Had a really great three-cone time, which is something that correlates well with edge rusher success in the NFL. And again, good production, decent athlete, and definitely a guy worth a flyer at the end of the draft. Yeah, there were a lot of character concerns about Albert O leading up uh, to the draft, which is why he fell out of the second day. He's a terrific athlete. Uh, he's a guy who basically is a possession receiver in a tight ends body. He's going to have to learn to play in a more disciplined system. But I thought it's an interesting pick in the sense that they took Fant in the first round last year. They signed Nick Vanette to a uh, free agent contract. They got, a, they got Jake Butt on the, uh, the former Michigan uh, tight end uh, on the depth chart. Troy Fumagalli. Uh, so they got a lot of players, a lot of good players at the tight end position. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how many they keep. Uh, but I think at this point in time, when you're looking at the fact that you took two tremendous skill players, speed skill players uh, in the first and second round, and then you kind of cap it off with a speed tight end, Alberto is going to have to learn the pro game. He's going to have to learn how to block and improve his blocking, but he's got the athleticism to stretch the seam which is what teams want these days at the tight end position. Uh, Justin Stradon, I'm glad to see he got selected as early as he did. 
played half the season or missed a part of the season last year with a torn pec. I don't know that he's, he's playing weight. It's actually 238 pounds, but if you watch him play, I mean, he is an outstanding run-and-chase linebacker, outstanding in pursuit. I would expect him to be used. And he's also solid in coverage. I mean, he's a guy who can make plays going in reverse. I would expect him to make an active roster and get the playing time. You know, beauty of, of Fresno State, I didn't have him as draftable. And I know there were a lot of people that liked him. I just I, – I didn't see it on film. Like you said, he was constantly injured. When he was playing, he's not a guy that's very mobile. He's not a guy that moves all that well on his feet. I I just don't understand. You know, we'll see what happens, see how he does, but I think it's going to be an up, uphill slog for him. Uh, Tyree Cleveland is a bigger body receiver at Florida. You know, we talked about it earlier. They had a lot of receivers there, and they spread the ball around. No one had any, no, any single receiver had uh, any outstanding production. Cleveland had a terrific week of practice at the Shrine game. He's got good size. He's got good speed. He's got good upside potential. Tuska, I thought, was great. To, was a terrific selection in the last round. You watch his, you watch his film. He plays uh, like a guy whose hair is on fire. He's just not an opportunist. That uh, that production was more based on his hustle, on his competitiveness, and I think he's going to do real good as a three-four stand-up linebacker that's rushing the passer. Now, in terms of what the Broncos did after the draft, Levante Bellamy, running back out of Western Michigan, was an interesting signing. They gave him a large signing bonus, too, $25,000, which bodes well for his chances of, of making the roster, which is interesting because they have Melvin Gordon now. They have Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman as well, a guy they spent a third-round pick on several years ago. Um, but, again, big signing bonus there for Bellamy, an explosive back. Might be the best receiving running back on the Broncos roster if he can end up making the team. And then Riley Neal, I mean, we've talked about the Vanderbilt offense a lot for how bad they were this year, and, and obviously Riley Neal was at the center of that. But this is a guy, Antonio will talk about what he did at Ball State before he transferred to Vandy. And this is a guy who looked like a very draftable prospect early in his career. Obviously, his game kind of stagnated, and he ended up as an undrafted free agent here. But there are some tools to work with with Riley Neal. He's an extreme long shot, but you know, someone to take a risk on after the draft. An extreme long shot is is basically a nice way of saying it. I mean, you go back and you watch his Ball State film as a sophomore, and he looked like a guy that could develop into a middle-round pick. And it's kind of been downhill uh, since then. He was injured in 18 at Ball State, and last year was just a disaster at Vanderbilt, as it was for a number of the uh, Vanderbilt offensive players. Neil was taken out of the lineup at times. He just never got into a rhythm. You know, I... I, I think at best he's a practice squad guy. He's got to try and find, uh, get back to where he was in 2017 when he played really well. He's saying Bassey they signed as a free agent, the cornerback from Wake Forest. Bassey was a guy who I was never very high on. He's 5'8 and change. He's, fat, he's, he's feisty and he works hard. But here was a guy who was graded as a second-round pick by some scouts coming into the season. So – there are a lot of teams out there that liked him, or there are a lot of scouts out there, I should say, that liked him uh, as a, a potential top 100 pick before the season began. Uh, the Broncos end up getting him as an undrafted free agent. And moving on to the final team in the division, and that is the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. Obviously, they drafted last in the first round, and they surprised a lot of people by taking LSU running back Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. A lot of people did have Kansas City pegged to take a running back, but I think they expected it to be DeAndre Swift out of Georgia. Instead, they go with Edward Solaire. I mean, this is a guy who really rose up as a senior in terms of his draft stock, um, caught a lot of balls, really natural as a receiver. He's short, 
but he is not small. He is stocky. He can run between the tackles. Doesn't have great speed. Ran a four six at the combine. A lot of people tried to knock him for that. But if you watch the film, he plays to you know four five five four six on film. He's quicker than fast. But he is a good running back. A little surprising to see him as the first back off the board. I do think he'll be an excellent fit in Kansas City. But it is kind of a question whether he should have been the guy to come off the board there for them. You know, we had mentioned the night before the draft when we did our late risers and sliders. I said that there were a lot of people who had Clyde Edwards-Hilaire graded as their number two back in the draft. Well, I was wrong. <laughs> he was the number one back in the draft. <laughs> so I was almost right on that one. But, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a system fit. You can't help but really enjoy watching Edwards-Hilaire play. I mean, he is a tough guy. We said it all, all along, you know, or I said it all along, Joe Burrow – was the one that everyone talked about from that LSU offense. But you watch the film, especially the Alabama game, and it was Edwards Hilaire who was consistently stopped two yards short of the uh, first down marker yet, and then was carrying defenders to pick up that uh, – to get the first down. I, I think it was – you know, I would have selected DeAndre Swift because I think DeAndre Swift is a much better perimeter runner. He's got home run hitting speed. But Edwards Hilaire is such an enjoyable guy to watch on film. Uh, I, I hope it works out for him. Yeah, hard to question the pick considering the fit and everything else, even if maybe you thought DeAndre Swift should have been the pick there. Chiefs did have two picks on the second day. They went with Mississippi State linebacker Willie Gay at the end of round two and TCU offensive tackle Lucas Niang at the end of round three. Now, Gay is a guy, good size, good speed, very good athlete. It's a bit raw, sometimes doesn't take the best angles to the ball. Um, you know, had a suspension that he dealt with with the Bulldogs, but as we spoke about leading up to the draft, NFL teams really just weren't that concerned with that. Not a guy that came with that off-field or character baggage that some might have expected based off of that suspension. And then Lucas Nyang, hip labrum injury this year really cost him. Guy has the kind of upside to be a top 45, top 50 pick. Really good size, as I mentioned, really good upside. Just a guy that getting him at the end of round three, yes, there is some risk involved with him with the injury it is a serious injury and not one to be taken lightly but i mean this is a guy who could provide a lot of return on this pick for kansas city yeah yang was a steal it was an absolute steal for a team that just won the super bowl for a team that eventually will be looking to place either replace either eric fisher or mitchell schwartz who's over 30 years old so you know yang is in a perfect situation doesn't have to play right away can continue his rehab can really get back to prior uh prior form and prior health he's a guy's got a great amount of upside he's got the classic offensive lineman's body plays with great fundamentals i thought this was an outstanding selection by uh kansas city i was never as high on willie gay as a lot of people were although i had been hearing and we were reporting that he was getting a second round consideration and that's exactly where he went just had a great uh combine workout he's a guy who flashes skill but i like to see a bit more uh, consistency in his game Three picks on the third day for the Chiefs, Louisiana Tech defensive back Legarius Sneed, Michigan defensive end Michael Dana, and Tulane cornerback Takarius Bo Pete Keys. Now, Sneed is a guy, played cornerback before this past season, moved to safety. He's six foot 192, bit small for safety. I think he's going to end up being a cornerback for Kansas City. That's where they have him listed on the Jeff chart right now. Good athlete. Good ball skills. Didn't have the 2019 that a lot of people might have expected entering the season, but a position change will do that to you. Getting him back to his more natural fit at corner should help him at the next level. Michael Dana, good senior year, good shrine week. Could use a little bit more bulk 
but he's a sub-package type of rusher who's going to play very hard. He's pretty explosive off the edge, and he's the guy that could make an impact off the bench for Kansas City. And then Keys, I mean, if he can play to his 40 time of, of 4-4-9, this is going to be a steal getting this guy out of the top 225 picks. He's got good size. He's a physical player. And again, add in some athleticism there. And this is just a guy that you don't expect corners like that to be available in the seventh round in terms of the traits that he brings to the table. But Kansas City was able to sneak him in there towards the end of the draft. Yeah, you know, on any ordinary team, I would say these last three picks would make the roster. But you're talking about the Super Bowl champions here. Uh, uh, Sneed was an outstanding pick. We had said all along in the weeks leading up to the draft, he was getting fourth round consideration. That's exactly where he went. I agree. He's probably going to play cornerback. He didn't play poorly at safety this year. He just didn't make a lot of plays. There weren't a lot of bonehead plays. There weren't a lot of mental lapses. He just wasn't making a lot of plays on the ball. Um for Carries Keys, the seventh round pick, he's a guy who flashes ability. I think he's probably uh, destined for a practice squad unless somebody picks him up off the waiver wire. He's got a great amount of upside. Mike Downer is going to be interesting. I thought that Mike Downer would be better as a sta- stand up uh, pass rusher, uh, as a three, four outside linebacker. But considering the way uh, Kansas City uses their defensive ends and the way they like their defensive ends, a little bit smaller. Uh, Dana fits that fits their, uh, their, their system perfectly. He's explosive. He's athletic. As you said, he had a tremendous week of shrine practice. I was there and he was omnipresent, uh, basically, uh, snap uh, day in and day out. In fact, I believe if you go back and listen to our podcast, uh, with Kyle Murphy of Rhode Island, who was at the uh, shrine game, he said that Dana was one of the toughest guys and the best athletes he faced all week. Now, a couple UDFAs of note for Kansas City. Javaris Davis, the cornerback out of Auburn, really surprised to see him fall out of the draft, especially when you consider that his teammate, Noah Igbenogni, went in the first round to Miami. I mean, this is a guy who arguably was better than Igbenogni as a pure corner. Problem is, not quite the same athlete, and he doesn't have the size that Igbenogni has. He's 5'8", 183 pounds, but good ball skills, 4'3", speed. Another real good corner prospect here for the Chiefs, to possibly make the roster or keep on the practice squad. You know, a couple guys with upside for Kansas City. And then Kalaja Lipscomb, the wide receiver out of Vanderbilt. Again, another Commodore that we've talked about. I mean, this is a guy, his stats as a junior were insane. His stats as a senior were not good. But again, that whole offense really crashed and burned in a big way. He's a long-armed possession receiver, runs good routes, but he's not that big. He's not that fast. And as we've said time and time again, if you're not big and you're not fast, you're probably not going to be a day two pick. In this case, Lipscomb, based on his poor senior season, didn't even end up as a day three pick. But if you get him back to the levels that he played at in 2018, could be a solid back end of the roster type of receiver. You know, it's funny. When we talked about the Raiders undrafted free agents, they had, what, maybe a half a dozen guys. The Kansas City Chiefs, uh, the team that's got the least amount of open space on their depth chart, the uh, Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs, who I'm sure will make a run at it next year, they did, as far as I'm concerned, a great job signing undrafted free agents. And most of the teams at the top of the draft, whether it be the Jets, whether it be the Bengals, uh, you know, if they had this sort of undrafted free agent roster, we'd be applauding them. And while we should applaud the Kansas City Chiefs, 
a lot of these guys aren't going to have any chance of making the roster because those spots are already full. I mean, you, you, you look at this Cody white of Michigan state, the junior Daryl Williams, the, the interior offensive lineman from Mississippi state. You mentioned Javaris Davis. Uh, you mentioned uh, Kalijah Lipscomb, Levert Hill of Michigan, Maurice French of Pittsburgh, Rodney Clemens, one of my favorite guys from SMU who dropped out of the draft because he ran so poorly at the combine. Shea Patterson. Well, why not? I mean, Shea Patterson could end up as the third quarterback in Kansas City. You know, uh, Tershawn Wharton of Missouri S&T, who was fantastic during Shrine Week. Tommy Townsend, the uh, punter from Florida. And Yasir Durant. I mean, you know, a lot of these guys that the Chiefs signed after the draft would have been really good late-round picks for a lot of other teams. So, uh, I mean, wow, I, I got to like what the Chiefs did, not only on, you know, from round one through seven, but what they did when the draft was over. Yeah, I mean, I, all those guys you mentioned, I mean, these are guys that, you know, played at big schools. They're guys that, you know, have recognizable names to, you know, even your average college football fan. And, you know, in the end, I think maybe just a lot of people want to play in Kansas City. They see Patrick Mahomes there having a blast, knowing that he's going to be there long term. People want to play for Andy Reid. They just won the Super Bowl. I mean, that's the kind of situation where a lot of these guys are going to say, you know what, we're going to go to camp. We're going to get developed a little bit. We're going to look good. And then when we can't make the roster and we get cut, we're going to get scooped up off of waivers because people like what they saw from us in the preseason. Now, granted, this is if we see a preseason. This is not an offseason like any that we've ever seen before. So it'll be interesting if a lot of that comes to fruition. But you know, a lot of these guys are coming into the program and you know hoping to just make a mark before the season. They're not going to make this team, but they have a good chance of making other teams around the league. Yeah, I mean, it's an embarrassment of riches. I, I said before, you know, when, they, when we talked about them selecting Lucas Yang, the team is likely going to, going to be looking to replace Eric Fisher. Mitchell Schwartz is up there in years. Well, you know what? If they can develop Yasir Durant, they've got a one-two punch there with Lucas Yang and Yasir Durant at the all-important tackle position. Great job by the Chiefs. And that's it for the 138th episode of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter. We'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll be back next week to break down the NFC West for you and wrap up our divisional draft recaps as well as the month of May. But until then, on behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.